So there are two quick things I want to share with everybody before this podcast gets going. The first being Stacking Skulls now has shirts. That's right. They are on my website. If you go into the product section, you'll see a section for shirts. Or you can just search for Stacking Skulls and you will find them. And secondly, we spent a lot of time talking about ancestors in this course. And coincidentally, or perhaps synchronously, uh, I am running my Ancestral Magic course which is an opportunity for everybody to learn some brand new divination tools that I've created uh, so that they can build a tighter relationship with their ancestors, either known or unknown, and start to learn to work some magic with them. So if you're interested about that, jump over to thehermitslamp.com and slide over to the events page and you'll find it. Without further ado, Stacking Skulls, my friend. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Just to give you a heads up before we start, uh, there were some technical issues with Jonathan's microphone. Uh, We've trimmed them and cut it so it flows, but if you run into anything strange, that would be what was happening. Hey, world. We're back, stacking skulls. This is the magnificent... First show of 2018 with all four of us wonderful wizards in the same place. Um, Thanks for tuning in again. And if you have not listened to the previous rounds of shenanigans, you may want to go back and do so. Or you may want to bypass that entirely. I'll I'll leave that in your hands. You know, Um, but uh, there are two previous episodes or installments of uh, myself, Aiden Wachter, uh, Fabeku, and uh, Jonathan Emmett. And, uh, you know, we've gotten together a few times and talked about some things. So I'm going to kind of lead us off, though, with our kind of starting point thing, which is like, hey, folks, what's new in the last three months since we last all hung out together? I had a microphone up my butt. (laughs) Excellent. And now the explicit tag. Next, Aiden's turn. (laughs) (laughs) Um. You know, this has been like the craziest three months ever. Uh, right after we recorded the last time, um, my son died. Um, and uh, that was a really huge and transformative thing. Um, and it's hard to describe in any ways, but mm-hmm. there's like, you know, massive, massive hole there and loss there. But it was also incredibly beautiful. Um, we were able to get him home from the hospital, uh, so that he died in his backyard, um, with a bunch of friends and family around. And it was a easily the most magical and beautiful thing that I've ever seen. Um, and then, uh, I had surgery (laughs) and I'm now pretty much recovered from that and playing catch up in the shop after those two things. And, as of last night, I'm now a double grandfather as Ash's uh, uh, partner, Desi, who just had twins last night. And they're beautiful. Everybody's good. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, whenever, um, whenever I've gone through big losses in my life, you know, like two of my brothers died within six weeks of each other. Whoa. And uh, I always find myself, you know, at those times – in like this sort of liminal space, right? 
you know, mm-hmm. like where I just sort of end up where I'm like, I feel like I'm constantly in ceremony for some period of time afterwards. And surgery does that. And, you know, I mean, for me, having kids, I don't have any grandkids, but having kids did that. Do you feel like you're still kind of in that, that kind of space? Are you like sort of living 24 seven and in there? Or? It's really wild because I think in the last episode we talked about that I have these kind of death spirits that I've been hanging out with for a couple of years now. And in the week, and I think I talked about how they'd gotten really busy uh, leading up into it. And so that had become this like every night crazy kind of spirit initiations with these kind of hive beings that their thing is death that I call the sisters. Um, and so when he, when I found out that he'd had, that his, that his heart had stopped, but they had him on life support, I went in and they were totally waiting for me. And so it was very odd because they'd clearly been setting me up for this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, for a couple of weeks. And so I went straight in to go find him where he was kind of stuck in between and assist from there. And so the combination of all of that and then actually flying out, uh, I guess two days before he was that we actually removed him from life support and going through that process there, it's the most complete thing that's kind of a major event that's happened to me as far as kind of fully self-contained in a way of anything that I've ever experienced. So it's very odd because in many ways I just feel really, really good, you know, and I'll get hit at at points where, you know, when I've been doing work for Desi and for his babies, uh, there'll be these moments that are very, very sad. Uh, but it's really just about, I know how much he would have liked to have watched the thing and, and met them in the flesh and done that whole thing. That was really important to him. But uh, what I feel like was this, is this huge shift. Like, you know, you have that, those moments in your life where you can feel like the, the cogs and the wheels of the machine are always turning. Right. And you're always, to me, we're always trying to like smooth that out and gauge where it's going and gauge what the next configuration is going to be. And this feels in a really crazy way. Like it's the smoothest kind of complete snap of things. So that's really what I have more than, than it being anything else. Um, and like just mass clarity. So there has been a huge amount of work going on, but it's really been like, there's a ton of stuff that I'm like, I don't need that anymore. Uh, I don't need to think about that anymore. Let's do the work to finish that piece off uh, about things from my childhood and, and, and uh, you know, social dynamics, magical dynamics, all that stuff. There's been a lot going on. Definitely. Uh, but so far, it's, you know, it's weird to say in that situation that everything seems really good. Uh, but it does. Yeah. I mean, certainly my experience of... Well, it's one of the reasons for the practice, right? You know, whether, whether that's Absolutely. for me, who's the practice trademarked, 
or whether it's just having a practice, right? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that there are, there are, ideally we get to these places where, you know, there's grief, there's loss, there's whatever, right? And there's, and there's the whole, and there's the absence of that person from experiences and the feelings that come from that, right? And, mm-hmm. um, but then there's also this capacity to be like, I find myself at various points thinking I other people seem like they feel like I should be way more upset about this yeah. than I am. And I have this sort of very deep grounded position around it where it's not avoidance or denial because it's actually almost like a, a, a hyper level of looking at it so squarely that, that it's, it becomes easier to accept it or to recognize it and to see the ways in which that is, as you say, maybe that the moving of the cogs, the machinery of the universe, the, the inevitability of some kind of fate force or, or, or just something that, that is just beyond our control at this point, either way, whether it was destiny or not, you know? Yeah. And I think, yeah, that in spades, and it's really interesting because it's also, and I'm sure that all of you have had this experience that we do all this work kind of in these liminal states or ceremonial work or ritual work, not in a ceremonial magic sense necessarily, but just the work dealing with spirit and dealing with the universe at large, what I call the field. And periodically there are things that happen that really make you realize you haven't done your work in some places (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you're like, Oh, that smashed me. Right. And I've had a good number of those. This was the reverse of that. This was like, I got the news about him. I went in. The allies that I work with were like really sweet. And like, Mm. okay, (laughs) you now know what we've been up to with you. Let's go do it. Mm. You know, he's here. He's stuck. Let's aid him. Uh, and that's the most beautiful thing that I've ever experienced. Um, and to me, it is, it is the, yeah, you can do money magic. You can do uh, attraction magic. You can do whatever. Uh, but to me, it's that. How is the work assisting your reality into the actual reality that you're in? And this was totally solid and it remained totally solid. And I feel like um, at least the people that I've dealt with that were, you know, closely that were close to him, uh, all get that uh, in a way that I've never seen around someone's death before. Uh, And I think it is people who are doing the work and who are I have this knowledge that I've had since I was a kid when I I kind of realized what uh, historical life expectancy of humans was uh, and the numbers that even got anywhere close to there and what infant mortality rates and childhood mortality rates are. And so since I was a little kid, I've had that knowledge of that. Like, this is a totally iffy thing. (laughs) You don't get to stay. And you don't get to pick when you leave and uh, far more leave sooner than later, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had that. I was in San Francisco uh, at the kind of height of the 
AIDS uh, wipe out there. Uh, and so that's also, I think, you know, at an early age, I lost a lot of people. Uh, and so it was really interesting seeing this and going like, this is the most okay I've ever been about having somebody cross over. But I think that that's really tied into the work that I've been doing for the last five or 10 years, uh, that I could actually be there with it as it was and go, okay, this is there, there's me. I, it doesn't matter what I want here. I'm irrelevant in this situation. So mm-hmm. how do we help the process that's actually happening uh, to happen in the way that it's supposed to? You know, but yeah, that's what I've been up to. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's affirming to hear you talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, because I think that there are lots of ways in which especially certain kinds of, of conversations around magic can feel sort of superficial and transitory. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's sort of the, the deep work of, of, I don't know what we would call it, elevating oneself, healing oneself, harmonizing with that universal, the, the, the cogs of the universe or whatever, you know I mean? To me, that work has always been the most important work. But, yeah. it, but it is, except, you know, except when you lose a wheel, it, it, you, it, you don't notice it, right? Like there's no way to really sort of see it in action. And then when mm-hmm. you see it, you're like, yeah, so good that I practiced all that driving with three wheels because one just came off and now I can stop safely <laughs> and put something else on there and see what happens next, you know? So Right. Well, and I think it also sinks into that concept that kind of connects to a question that we have that, uh, in, in passing, which is this kind of, there's a, there, there's this direct relationship in my mind from what we now are viewing the pieces we can see of it anthropologically as shamanism, right? Um, which is this, to me, this epic chain of shamanism and magic and sorcery and whatever you want to call it, spirit work that goes back as far as we go back. Um, and I think that this kind of thing is the the root of it. You know, it's 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 about the, the the reasons for all of the kind of death mysteries are not because there's some way out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's just this is a reality that is the most prevalent reality, other than the birth one, right? And that's the the wild thing about this to me is that you know uh, he's gone now three months almost exactly uh and his children are now here as of yesterday uh and uh i think are gonna have a really they have a fantastic mom who has a fantastic network of people um and i think they're gonna have really fantastic lives uh and yeah there'll be that piece that they didn't get but he's like he's a he's a an epic mythic creature for anybody who kind of has watched this it's like uh uh and i don't know whether that's a a a benefit or a drawback to grow up with that uh without getting to see the the, some of the grungier sides of it you know as a kid but uh it's it's they're going to be special people and they've got special people uh all around them
You know, I was kind of thinking while you were, you were talking there, it kind of makes you wonder if he he had to leave so that they could be born in a way. I mean, just the surrounding, everything surrounding the situation of, of how it just kind of happened. It really was no, you know, warning of any sort or anything. It just kind of happened. It just it makes you wonder, you know, you th- I think about weird stuff like that, but it does kind of feel like that maybe he had to go so they could be here. And, you know, it's kind of a change of energy or exchange of, so. Mm-hmm. No, I totally, you know, it's one of those things that again, you know, you don't get, we don't get, we never get to have those answers in any right. definable way. But uh, the thing that I saw through the time that I was out there when he was in the hospital and then when we brought him home and had, I don't know, there must've been 20 or more of us in the backyard with him. Uh, was you could see the transformation happening on all of those people. And while it was happening, I was like, either you could see that there was a way in which this thing was a huge gift to all those people to see someone's death happening and it being processed by the people close to them into my mind, the most beautiful way that you could hope for, you know? When I was 12, I think I was 12. I was pretty young. Anyway, my grandfather loved this man dearly. He was, um, just one of the coolest guys um, in the world. He taught shop in, in East Wichita and, you know, some of the toughest parts of town and he was native American to top it off. So, you know, he probably didn't get treated very well, but he was just such a good man. Uh, it was hard for me to let him go, but I was 12 and I was, he had death rattle. And I don't know if people are familiar. With not the worst thing in the world, but it's not pretty to listen to. Um, and I remember my parents left, uh, and and I was just there uh, in the room with him by myself. And, and the, our preacher at the time, she wasn't really a preacher, more of a spiritual leader, um, came by and, and uh, we were talking, and he started having death rattled again. And, and uh, she went to get a nurse, and he died. And that was my first experience with death. At, at such a young age and it was it didn't devastate me like oh I saw somebody die you know my world's over it was just it was kind of fascinating but you know broke my heart because it was my fa- my grandfather but uh, so I kind of understand that I mean it, it, there's it's an interesting process to watch someone actually leave You know, and that was that was the on, on several. You're breaking. You're breaking up. Yeah, Jonathan, your your microphone's suffering from what you've done to it. It's going in and out, my friend. Is it? I broke you're it. In and out. I see how it is. How's that? It's good. <laughs> and so I should keep my microphone out of my butt. Anyway, let's uh on, on the the segue of Jonathan's problematic microphones um what's going on with you Fabeku? uh yeah it was um kind of an interesting few months you know it was uh holiday stuff and it was you know weird i'm not uh 
I don't love holidays anyway, but this one was was a little weird. My uh, you know, my mom's getting older and has some health stuff going on, and that's been not so great. And um, you know, with that, there's some some weird cognitive stuff that's starting to happen that I think is uh, it's interesting because I, I was I was relating to in a different way with some what Aiden was talking about with you know it's been interesting to kind of look at that cycle of you know her she's in her 80s and you know kind of getting to that phase where things are uh becoming kind of difficult and problematic and and it's interesting kind of watching the people other people around her and and kind of their stuff that's happening with that and um you know the the kind of the the sadness which i get but kind of the panic and the fear and the weirdness and that kind of thing. And um, I had, had a chance to talk with her a little bit and the busyness of the holidays, just kind of where she's at. And um, it was interesting. Like she, she mostly felt okay with things until everybody started freaking out. And then, you know, she got kind of fucked up and worried about it. And um, you know, so we talked a little bit about that kind of managing other people's shit and, and um you know, we talked about ancestor stuff and it's interesting because she, I mean, her background couldn't be any more different than mine in some ways. She grew up in a, you know, super religious Pentecostal home and, you know, music was of the devil and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So uh, we, we have pretty different philosophical takes on things, but um, yeah, we, we, it was a good conversation. We got to talk about um the ancestors and, and kind of crossing in a good way and being met by the ancestors. And, you know, I, I, we talked to, we talked about kind of my practices with that a little bit. And, you know, I, I asked if she was all right with me kind of um, working with the ancestors to, you know, kind of do what they need to do. So when it's her time, um, you know, it's a, it can be as smooth of a transition as possible. And it, you know, so again, like this is, it's a weird conversation to have with somebody, but to me, you know, like, like we've been talking about, this is, this is why we do this work. You know, I'm all for money magic. I'm all for uh, all of this other stuff. That's fantastic. And, you know, when there's giant life shit like this, uh, yeah, these are the moments when I feel really super grateful that, you know, we do what we do and we have this stuff, uh, available to us. You know, for me, it, I was thinking about this a few days ago, how these practices become, at least for me, like these, these shock absorbers, you know, it's not that, it's not that it, it prevents shit from happening, but when it happens, it, it allows us to stay more oriented and more coherent than we would be otherwise. And, you know, then if, if that extends out to the people around us and we can, we can help them get or maintain a better sense of coherence and orientation, then that's, um, that's a pretty remarkable thing to me. Yeah, I think that's such, yeah. um, such a, a significant point of view, right? Because so many people lose faith because they do stuff religiously or spiritually or magically or whatever. And then some life thing comes along and they're like, why did this not get prevented? Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and then they and then they falter because of that, right? You know, like I, I remember um, sort of a day and a half before my second brother passed away, I was divining with the Orishas, right? And it came in this really bad sign, right? 
basically a sign of like unexpected things and tragedies that shake your whole world all the way down to your foundations. Right. And, um, and so I, I did what I do when stuff like that shows up. I basically called all the people who are important, you know, and I knew that he was going through a hard time. And so I, I called him and I was like, dude, come to my house, come over here. You know, I know you're out doing whatever, but like, come over here, you know, after work, come over here, I'll come pick you up, come over here. Right. And, and he decided not to, you know, and then that, ultimately was that decision that he made led to his passing, you know? And, uh, you know, there, there are these flags that I think that are there that warn that something's coming, right? They're like, you know, gird your loins, put on your armor, get ready. Shit's going to get shaken up, but it's, it's rarely ever as clear cut as anything, you know, as anything else. And to me, that doesn't, um, that doesn't diminish my faith in these processes because the warnings and the advices of that reading carried me through that time in a way that I could have been, it could have been so much worse for me without that, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting when I went out to Athens, um, I took out a deck of cards that I had just got and decided I was going to take that with me to be my, thing and I'm not a big diviner I don't I do if I do a reading a week that's a lot for me um as I was moving through whether this was on the plane or off by myself getting dinner at some point and there was some process coming up I would ask the cards to show me what would help me Hmm. and they would give me these readings that I would interpret in some particular way at that moment and I would invariably be completely wrong, but having that information in my head and expecting things to go a particular way was like the most perfect assistance I could ever get, which was what I basically had asked for. They didn't, I didn't say what's actually going on. I said, you know, what, do I, what, what should I have in my head or in my mind going into the situation? And they would give me something. And that was an incredibly useful tool. It was very, it wasn't accurate to what, events actually happened but it was totally dead accurate to what attitude i should approach each of those situations with and so i do think it's very interesting that uh i talk a lot about the the biggest issue with magic is our kind of limited perceptual abilities uh it's like and when we're first starting out that can seem like we're totally disabled until you kind of figure out how it works for you you know uh, but I totally see that side of it. Is, uh, it's becoming more able to communicate or understand communication, uh, even if it's not perfect. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think that, <clears throat> you know, I, to me, that it, it goes along with this thing that, because uh, I, I do divine a lot. Like, that's kind of one of my things. And uh, I think since starting that, well, since starting it and fucking up a lot and misunderstanding and, and misapplying things, uh, since then, my my thing has been, how do I continue to expand my bandwidth for this connection and this communication, whatever it is, particularly around blind spots, things I don't want to see, difficult news, outcomes that aren't what I want, you know, times that I misunderstand something and, and then shit goes totally sideways from that. You know, how, how do I how do I expand my ability to stay connected and stay in communication 
when those things are happening, because to mm -hmm. me, that's when it really matters. Right. I think that, yeah, you know, if so suddenly if, if we use that bandwidth and it goes dark, what then? So for me, it's, you know, how do we, how do we keep that capacity as full and accessible as we can when we really need it? You know, mm -hmm. I think that's, um, it's not easy, but I think that's pretty critically important work. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, I used to do a lot of, um, a lot of readings about life in the future and whatever. And like, I still do when I'm planning and stuff like that, but like my, my regular readings, which, which are like maybe two or three times a week these days are how do I keep myself in the zone? How do I get back to the zone? How do I move out of this sort of out of sortsness that I'm feeling back to being centered and grounded and aligned, you know? And that's yeah. like essentially the question as much as there is a question, right? That's the question. And that's always the question. It's not really about anything else or anybody else or whatever. It's like, what do I do internally to, you know, to be, to be in like full on mode today or as close to full on mode as possible, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I like that, that, that idea of, you know, what do I need to do to stay aligned? And, and I think that's the thing. I think a lot of times it does come down to asking better questions, right? You know, because mm -hmm. uh, it, I think probably the last significant experience I had with that about a year and a half ago, I had surgery and uh, it was supposed to be kind of a not, I mean, kind of a big deal, but not a big deal. And, you know, before I did some divinations with it, a couple of people did some divinations for me. Everything was fine, all good, in and out, easy peasy, don't sweat it. It, it, that's not at all how it went, right? It, 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 everything that could have gone wrong did and then some, and it was, it was crazy. It was, uh, it went sideways in ways that really could have been incredibly catastrophic beyond what it was. And as I was in the hospital thinking about this, you know, I think it could have been easy to, like you said, Andrew, get, get pissed or, or kind of lose faith that, wait, I read this and other people read this and everything was supposed to be fine. And I almost fucking died. Like, what's the deal? Yeah. But instead where I landed with this is, you know, what if, what if I had asked different questions? What if I had asked better questions instead of, you know, what's the outcome of the surgery, but instead, like you're saying, how do I navigate this? You know, what do I need to do to move through this in an aligned way? That would have been a different thing. And I think it would have been uh, infinitely more useful to me in that moment than, than the questions that I had asked on the front end, right? Because I was super anxious about it. And, and so I think that led me to asking questions that were, uh, I think reasonable, but probably not the smartest or most helpful questions that I could have asked. The, the, uh, tell me it's all going to be okay reading for sure. Absolutely. Is, yeah. is a hundred percent human and like we yeah. all do it right. Like, but, but yeah, there's a lot more to, to kind of say than that maybe. Yeah. And I also think though, like, you know, when, when you, uh, one of the things that happens when you divine with, uh, with like the Orishas and stuff is, um, in many situations we, we ask if the reading is closed now, are we done? Right. But we don't, we don't say like, is this perfect? You know, we don't say whatever we, we say a phrase that essentially translates to has everything that needs to be said been said, right. Or has everything that can be said been said, right. And it's like, that's it, right? Did we miss anything? No, we covered it all? Okay. And then beyond that, it, it, it's inherently not part of the conversation or couldn't have been part of the conversation. You know, and that's a, an awkward thing to accept in the beginning for people, I think, right? For sure. Yeah. They want perfection mm -hmm. of their 
spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it also sinks in. There's a, I think it's at the end of Nile saga. There's this really incredibly graphic vision of the, the Valkyries as the, the weavers of fate. And they're weaving in, in, in bloody intestines with like a head is the weight and spears as the, you know, the shuttle rod as the rods and beating it with spears. And this is you know, after this whole book of lots of really violent death. And one of the things that I got from that was that they were really saying like, you know, our obsession with fate as humans is always about the survival of the body. We try and, you know, unless we really move to somewhere else. They're like, and they were basically saying, this is all blood and guts here in the body. <laughs> this is where it goes for everybody, right? And so I do think that that approach that both Fabiku and you are talking about, Andrew, is, is it's what I'm learning with divination is that's where I get good help is, yeah, show me the face that I should put forward to walk through this next room, uh, yeah. through this next and I get really good information that's hard to describe. Uh, but you go, oh yeah, I know that guy, right? You get used to the your 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 visitors in the cards, and you go, I know that guy. I know who I am when I'm that guy, and so I can try and approach this like, uh, yeah, that guy, or I can look for that that woman, like who's who's fulfilling that role. Uh, and then I'll, I'll listen to them. You know, it's usually, it's, it's very frequently that the cards tell me that I should pay attention to the next thing that my wife says more than I might want to. It's <laughs> <laughs> a challenge with living with an Oracle, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting about the conversation is that it, when we, when we move to the place where we're asking questions that are beyond our own uh, sort of vantage point, our own limited concerns. And I think we open it up to get answers that, that not only come from that place, but that can move us past those places, right? So if my focus is only, okay, tell me everything's going to be okay, that, that's a very brief and kind of limited conversation. But how do I navigate this? That moves me past that. And I think it makes us available to the inside perspective ideas, whatever it is, that that we're not going to get if we're asking those questions that are more, you know, limited and kind of in the box. Well, let's be honest from the point of view of the universe, the sun going supernova is okay, right? Exactly. It's all okay. There are other suns, there are other universes, there are other whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I was going through a a super rough spot about 10 years ago, my mom sent me a, a card that I've always loved that said, uh, Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and totally like, yeah, it's okay. You, you, you knew you weren't going to stay here. So what's the issue? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, so I, in thinking about what I want to share about kind of what's been going on for me in the last stretch of time, you know, it's interesting how thematic it all is, right? So one of the big things of my, my last year was uh, my mom had surgery. She had her hip replaced back in August. And then she, uh, three days later, fell and shattered her femur, right? And so um, in December, she went home. 
after spending four and a half or five months or whatever it was in various facilities kind of getting tuned up, you know? And so it's been this journey of like watching her go through these things and, you know, watching her go through these things where it's like, you know, she's no spring chicken, you know, she's my mom. So she's got a few years on me and it's like, man, this could be the end. This could be the moment. Right. And kind of, as we were talking to it, sitting with that squarely and trying to look at the, the real reality of these situations. So, you know, that's been going on. And then the other thing that, that has been sort of flowing with me a lot is, um, you know, Saturn and its retrogrades and its switching into Capricorn and all of this astrological energy that's been going on has been, has been something that I've been really feeling intensely, you know, I mean, over the last while, for sure, being a Sagittarius and, you know, it's now left my sign and so on, but also this transition to, um, to Capricorn. Whereas like other times I've been like, eh, I don't like you, Saturn. <laughs> you fuck me a lot. Um, this time I was like, you know what? I was listening to, I think it was Austin Kopic and Gordon White talk about it. And he was just like throwing out lists of things that, that are positive in this kind of placement and stuff. And and he talked about like the dead and stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's really where I need to kind of sit with my energy, you know, and step more into working with that and living with that and feeling that, you know, and it's this very, um, it's a carryover of all of these things we've been talking about, right. Is, is kind of taking ownership of my relationship with the dead and with death itself, but with, with the dead more so. And how foreign that is to kind of almost anybody else that I know, you know what I mean? Like even, even people I know who are mediums, I feel like, I feel like often it's not quite the same. You know, I was writing about it one time a while ago and, and I was like, what, what is, what is a good word for the magic that comes from a deep love and devotion to the dead? And from their reciprocal love that comes from there, you know, and, and I don't, I don't have a good word for that, but you know, there's just something very particular about what's going on these days. Later today, as part of kind of culminating a work that I started at the transition of Saturn into Capricorn, I'm going to sort of finish making the shrine pieces that I started consecrating then so that I can continue to do this work and stuff. But it's, very apropos of this conversation, right? This sort of life and real, like life and death stuff, right? You know, and, and kind of like our conversation, I might go to this work for prosperity or I might go to this work for other things, but it's really about living continuously in some form of connection and awareness of that mystery and mm-hmm. sort of constantly honoring that mystery because ultimately it's one we'll all be initiated into but yet it can also be such a source of power and life while we're alive too. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, as as you're talking about that, it, it, it it reminds me and I I feel this a lot and I don't think I had words for it until I just heard you talk about what you did. But uh, when I'm doing magic, especially certain kinds, again, especially work with the ancestors, there's, there's this intimacy to it, right? It's like, it feels like there's this very, direct, intimate, uniquely personal at the same time, kind of big and cosmic uh, 
intimacy that's happening through this interface, right? It's like this, this direct interaction with these things that are really at the core of being human. Again, sure, you know, money, sex, relationships, attraction, all of that human, right? But if you strip all of that away, at the end of it, there's life and there's death and there's love, right? That's what's there. And, and when, when we're engaged in these practices where we're working at that foundational level, uh, there's, there's this incredible profound intimacy to it that I think is, uh, is pretty remarkable. And I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think I had the words for that until I just, I just listened to you talk, Andrew. That's one of yeah. those. And that's an interesting thing. I was doing work with Fabiku the last two years where this thing, this kind of connection with the dead and communion with the dead and being a part of this structure of these, like the creatures that I, or the, the beings that I met, the, the allies, the sisters, um, where the thing that happened right before Ash died was that they basically brought me into their thing. Like, they really are, I don't know, I have a better description, they're a collective. Um, so I think of them as like hive beings. And when they brought me in, the thing that was so interesting was that from their perspective, how beautiful this stuff is. That they're like, yeah, you guys do this other thing in between when you're dead. <laughs> but it's this transition in and out of when you're dead that has got all of this potency and all of this beauty and where you don't have all of the this uh, kind of weight of enculturation on you. Uh, was how I interpreted what they were kind of running through me. Um, and I think that that has to have been a more normal perspective. Uh, that somehow we kind of, and I, maybe this is just as we kind of figured out how to not lose half of the children or something, you know, uh, and we're, there is an expectation that barring something weird, you make it to a reasonable age or something. My sense is that if you're in a whatever kind of hunter-gatherer tribal thing, that vision of death has to be so different than the one that we carry now in you know, 2017 America. Uh, and that's a bit of what I've felt has been going on with me the last couple of years as well has been this really strong connection to this. Like this is the, it's a thing I don't think I could teach much about, you know, but mm. it's the most important aspect of what I do. I think is like, okay, yeah. that I go into and, and spend time in and, and they show me all of these things that I generally have no words for, um, but that are really natural normal things uh yeah it's fascinating i i had this dream um uh, maybe six months ago where i was up on this high mountain range like maybe in the himalayas or somewhere and i was in a graveyard and there were these three eternal beings that were there and I was there because in the dream, because I wanted to be initiated into their mystery and understand and know what they know. And, um, and they, and they basically said, well, you've come all this way 
all you have to do is is give us the sacrifice and we'll and we'll initiate you and then what they asked me for was to surrender everything that I had ever known or everything that I knew and get rid of it and then they would welcome me into their mysteries and in the dream I I reached into my body and drew out this little blue box that was the sum total of all of my knowledge and knowing and I and I gave it to them or put it on the earth and they and they accepted it and then proceeded into the dream further so I think that there are these really places that that inherently transcend our knowing right right and or at least our knowing in a in a conventional sense for sure yeah well so we did as we usually do uh oh hey streaker hey <laughs> So, uh, so for so for those people listening, uh, put your clothes on, Jen. It's, uh, we were we were chatting and joking around in the the chat room about uh, Jen streaking through our our performance here, and I thought, how funny would it be to uh, to have Jen just jump in for a minute? So, hey, Jen, what's going on? Hey, Welcome hey, to the party! Jen. Holy shit! Yeah, awesome to see you. Amazing. Good to see you guys too. Yeah. So uh, we've just been talking about death and super heavy stuff for like a long time. So what's going on? What do you, what do you, what do you got? You're going to bring a question in. Well, there was one question I had for Aiden. Uh, it started on his little request for questions, but it was about the, like any advice or stories working with plant or animal allies. I see a lot of things sort of being appropriated of, you know, my spirit animals, this, my power animals, that, and, it makes me wonder, you know, like, have you, did you choose that because you happen to like that animal or what, you know? And, and so maybe just stories about your experiences with this way of working. Mm-hmm. Well, I have two that are kind of relevant. And the first one is from a long time ago. Um, and my girlfriend and I were up, at Mount Shasta, where many weird things have happened for me. And uh, this was early on in my meditation practice. Uh, I was probably, I think I was 20. And um, it was super beautiful. We were up in this kind of meadow up in the mountain. And uh, I just went and found a rock out in the sun and, and, and sat down and was sitting kind of like, this is before I could actually sit full lo- lotus. So somehow cross-legged with my hands uh, on my knees. And I'm sitting there and I space out and I can feel this pull in like two totally different directions. I've got my eyes closed. And I couldn't kind of translate what was up about this pull in two different directions. And what when I opened my eyes, I looked down and one of my hands, and I don't remember which one anymore, has like five of these big blue butterflies on it. And the other one has maybe 25 flies on it. There's like no cross mingling. They're not doing anything. They're just hanging out. Um, and I must have spent a half hour with them and they never switched places and nobody ever left till I was done. 
Uh, and they were all, you know, the butterflies you could see were like collecting the salt and sweat off my skin. I couldn't really tell what flies were doing. And uh, I have never known anything other than that. It was just, this was this thing that happened. And it was one of those events that changed things as most of the Shasta events did for me. Um, and then I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I laugh at my spirit at the kind of idea of spirit animals because my deep ties into non Asatru kind of freaky shamanic Odin stuff, uh, have me always and always have had me working with wolves and ravens, which are like super cool, right? And so you go, that's just bullshit if I was viewing them as power animals. Um, but uh, as you know, because you've got the book, uh, there are these forms that I have learned over time to shift into in the, in the trance world. And they just allow me to have different perceptions of what's going on. And so that's my main experience with it is uh, that I have these, these, these shapes that I can shift into that like, if I'm getting freaked out by something, if I move into the, the, the kind of Raven shape, its perspective of what's going on is utterly different than mine. Um, It doesn't have this human view. It doesn't have human concerns. Um, and the same thing with that kind of wolf form. Um, and this has kind of been breeding a lot in the last year or so where uh, I'm not necessarily anything like a human now when I'm in the other spaces. Um, and it just allows a lot of freedom that is lacking other times. But I don't have, yeah, the whole idea of spirit animal thing. I don't, I don't really get that. I don't know what that is. But I think you can work with those, those shapes, or at least I can work with those shapes, uh, in ways that are very beneficial. Yeah, I, I don't really. I mean, I, I also don't really work with animals in that kind of way. Or maybe I do, and it's just my way of talking about it doesn't line up, so that I recognize what other people are talking about as being the same. But maybe it is the same. But, you know, for me, there are these things that happen that are really significant, you know. And um, so I was out in the woods and this uh, albino turkey came out of the woods, <laughs> completely white, right? And like it came out and hung out and we were like sort of five feet from each other. And, and we sort of had this exchange where, where aside from like, where I was like, holy shit, this is a really weird bird. What is going on here? Um, once I settled in and figured out what it was, because it was really big, right? Like, turkeys are not small animals up here, yeah. right? Especially <laughs> late, later in the summer, right? And I was just like, oh, my God, what's going on? And so I connected with that very, very intensely. And then um, and then there was another time where I uh, saw an albino porcupine. And, and that was very intense. Um, and then the only thing that sort of ever sort of said was, into the into me feeling sort of more a lasting connection with them versus sort of like a message connection is uh i had this dream that um everybody was freaking out because there was these they were like there are fishers in the woods which are these sort of like wild and ferocious animals you know they're known for like eating cats and and other stuff and they're 
considered fairly dangerous. You know, they're sort of the honey badgers of our part of the world, right? <laughs> and um, and and in the dream, I was like, oh, don't worry, they won't bother me. And I went out and I just sat down, and it, this albino fisher came out of the woods and curled up in my lap and sat there, and we just hung out. And then a few weeks later, somebody who knew nothing about the dream um, gave me a fisher skull, and so. It's one of the one of the few skulls that I keep around to stack, um, but you know, <laughs> and, but even that that became sort of part of uh, part of work that I do with another spirit, which is actually like uh, the spirit of a person who's passed on, and it's sort of there, there's a connection there. It's it's uh, it's sort of an avatar of that person as opposed to necessarily being the animal in and of itself. So, yeah. I actually got my spirit animal from a. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I actually got my, I was named and was told at the time what my spirit animal was by a Lakota Sioux medicine woman. So that's my lineage on that. I've, and I've had that verified by people that didn't know me later in life of the, the total number of people that I walk with, the spirit that I walk with and the animals that are around. So I, I kind of believe what she says, you know, um, I work with him a lot uh, and not really kind of like what Aiden was saying, you know, that really, you know, I ask him to do things or to, to maybe handle things for me that I can't or that I don't know how to handle or to, to work with me on uh, shape shifting and stuff like that. However, ironically, um, I laughed when Aiden said uh, wolves and ravens because I do the same thing with both wolves and ravens is I do a lot of shape-shifting with ravens because of their perspective is higher than mine. So I can see it from a different level. Um, and it's just fucking fun. But yeah. <laughs> so that's just kind of my – that's how I always kind of worked with animals. It wasn't really so much as as – they guide me, but kind of just walking together, you know, just kind of a living life, you know, and, and learning from them because they, they have so much information that people would actually just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you know that wolves can talk? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Hey, my door's knocking. Hold on. Maybe it's a wolf. Probably get off the phone. Albino porcupine, you keep your distance. Uh-huh. Right? So, you know, I guess what I would add to it, I think uh, I get what you mean, Jen, when you're saying things feel a little uh, appropriated at times. I think that, uh, I I think really what I would say, this to me goes to sort of the the necessity to do our own work and to deal with our own shit, I think, in any of these practices, because I think for me, some of the, the pieces that feel problematic around this, they're... Uh, when I hear people talk about it, it feels very utilitarian, right? In a in a way that the element of relationship seems missing, right? It, it's kind of like the way people would talk about uh, a tool. You know, I'm going to do this with a hammer, and I'm going to do this with my spirit animal, and you know, and it, and I I get that, and I mean, listen, people start where they start, and it's fine, but I think that you know, for me, I, it becomes problematic when we look at these things as tools or objects, right? Like for me, it really is like where's the relationship? How do I, how do I more clearly relate to them? And I feel like if we, 
if we relate to them as things or tools, then I think at best it's a really limited thing. And at, at worst, it's probably, uh, I, I think it, it, it moves us into almost working with some kind of distortion or echo of the actual thing, right? Because it, we're not really, there's not a clear and real relationship happening. So I think the utilitarian thing is weird. And I think the other element of, of doing the work is, you know, I, I'm, I think that I know a lot of people that have come to these practices as a way of kind of filling holes in themselves, right? And maybe not so consciously. So the fact that everybody seems to have an eagle as a totem and everybody kind of the same way that like in a past life, everybody was a king or a queen or whatever the fuck. It's like, yeah, probably Cleopatra. Not. Usually, right? yeah, always right. Cleopatra. So I think that it's like, it's John, Jonathan Emmett was the one true Cleopatra. So yeah, <laughs> we know that everyone That's else been is covered, right? But <laughs> I, I think the thing is like, if we, if we don't deal with those gaps and those holes and that shadow and that pain, then we end up filling them with things that are probably not, uh, accurate or not really there and then we start basing a whole lot of shit on top of it and to me that stuff becomes really problematic so i this is i i really i guess my contribution would be you know i think we just have to kind of be conscious of and then clean up our own shit before we we drag it into the practice and then and then start you know mistaking that for some kind of spiritual or magical reality that it it probably is not so yeah yeah and once we've built some structure on it then it's really hard to knock that down and for sure yeah work at it right so but yeah yeah i think that that's kind of to me if you're working with kind of a spirit view and a spirit world for me the biggest thing was to just slow the fuck down and like uh, okay if i've got somebody that's talking to me that's good i don't need to go hunting for somebody else and i could see will this person talk to me about other things (laughs) or will they introduce me to uh other things so even like in the in my the main zone that i go to when i'm doing trance work the allies are like the 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 first allies that i met are like uh intermediaries and they're like there's stuff that doesn't move around and so if you don't go to where they are it doesn't matter how much you call to them um and so if I roll in and I get the ally that's not being particularly helpful, but that's hanging out, it's like, okay, would you like to take me somewhere else? And they're like, finally, dumbass. <laughs> and then I can follow them and they'll be like, go into the scary fucking cave or whatever it is that's going on. Uh, and uh, that's the, but that's about time and depth. And I do think that there's the, or even the idea of I'm going to travel into a different space and ask to meet the allies there, that might take a long time. Uh, there's a space that I go into now that's finally opening up. <laughs> and it's like, this has an animal in it. I forgot about it. Uh, and there's this big ass elk thing that could give a fucking rat's ass about me. <laughs> and I show up and it just looks annoyed. <laughs> It's like, yeah. oh, it's you again. <laughs> it's like, dude, whenever you want to like open this up a little bit, that would be cool. And it's like, not now, later. Yeah. Uh, and that to me is the stuff that I, again, we've talked about this a little bit before on here with the four of us, is if it's all running super smooth and like clockwork, 
it's probably not super real. Uh, or there's that it being missed. Because uh, to me, it's like, it just doesn't go that way. And I could be fucked up. I could just be a mess. And well, something that motivated my question was um, in Northern California around 2010, I went to a Find Your Power Animal workshop, which was... Nice a lot of drum trans journeys. And when we went in to find our power animals, I got buried in Ivy for 15 minutes. There was nothing. And everybody was having these stories like, yeah. And then this elephant took me to the bottom of the ocean and a squirrel then landed on the back of a tiger. And then we had this unicorn that was in space. And it was like, uh, I was buried in Ivy with nothing. And then That's they're the like, you have to me. a power plant. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I know I have power plants. And then every other journey, I was actually working with plant allies and not animals. And I was the only person there. Like, I was like, and lots of intense things were happening, but it wasn't an animal. It was like, and it surprised me because everyone else had these fantastic creatures. And it was like, ah, I just got the plant kingdom. You know? Well, <laughs> but, see, what, so what I think is interesting about that and this is when I talk about it, I talk about it more of, of like allies or the others, right? Because I think the the languaging, and we were talking about this earlier in the conversation about the kind of the questions we bring to divination. I think that this is where language becomes problematic, right? Because people usually talk about power animals or whatever it is. Fine. But there's a million other options for allies, right? Plants, stones, weird alien creatures that, as far as I can tell, aren't here. And, and it, but when I've had conversations about that with people, sometimes they act really surprised. Like, what do you mean? There's a plant person that you work with or a stone person. They're animals. And it's like, well, okay. And you can't go wrong with things. the magic space pickle. But, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I, I claim that as my ally, the magic space pickle, right? But yeah, you know, I, I get that. I think that I think that sometimes uh, we create these kind of needless and unhelpful limitations that really shape our experience because of what we bring to it. That okay, I'm going to go meet an ally, and they said power animal, so it has to be a power animal. As, you know, I think that yeah, I don't I don't love that. I think that that stuff gets us super sideways. So then when we end up with Ivy, we think, what the fuck is happening? Right, like it's somehow a problem that it's really not. So, yeah, and and really, like, you know, what what if it's burdock, or what if it's like you know plantain, or what if it's like some other sort of amazing magical plant that's in your neighborhood? That's like the weeds that grow in the driveway and the laneways, right? Like, that doesn't mean that it's not profound and magical and powerful. And a lot of the plants that I work with are you know, if they're not Afro-Cuban stuff that I'm working with for my religious practice, they're predominantly things that grow here or that I grow myself. And, you know, there's, to me, there's some of the most wonderful magic is like being able to go out in my backyard here at the shop and be like, yeah, bit of this, bit of that, pull this guy's root, go down to the ravine, dig up a little bit of this, grab this out of the swampy spot. And next thing you know, you've got something good. And, you know, I mean, I think that there's such a, um, and, and not, and not unwarranted, but there's such a cult around like mandrake and like all these sort of the witch herbs. And I'm like, those don't grow here. Those aren't my plants. Those aren't part of my orbit, you know? And, and I, I remember not so much in recent times, but like when I was getting going, kind of having some feels about some of these things that everybody else was doing and working with. And I'm like, Nah, I don't think so. I think I'm going to work with the basil some more. That, that plant's really like kicking it up for me. And it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be everything else either, right? And, and ivy's great, right? That stuff 
overcomes everything, right? That'll that'll rip your bricks apart if you allow it to go too far, right? <laughs> That's pretty strong. One of my favorite magical plants is kudzu. Love it. Never oh, met wow. it until I moved to North Carolina. It was all over the fucking place. And I was totally taken by it. We, we were driving down the road and I'm like, what is that? And the person we were with was like, oh, fuck, it's kudzu. It's terrible. It's this. And I'm like, no, there's something to that plant. And I literally wanted to stop on the side of the road and walk over and just touch the plant to figure out what the fuck was going on. I super dig kudzu for magic stuff. Super dig it. And I think to get to that place that you're talking about, Andrew, I think that this goes back to we have to clean up our shit, right? Like if we don't feel like enough and we feel like it has to be big and weird and exotic and flashy, we're not going to say I'm working with kudzu. It's going to have to be mandrake or, you know, whatever it is. And so again, and like you said, not that those aren't powerful, but if, if we're led there because there's coherence cool if we're led there because we're trying to fill a hole and mandrake feels like an easier plug for it than dandelion not great right and i think we're going to end up kind of skewed and sideways as a result of it and not only that but missing some really really powerful things that could otherwise we could build relationships with these allies and and do some pretty amazing work with them so Mm -hmm. i think that that sinks in really kind of beautifully to yeah, it's like we, we're, we're enculturated to all sorts of things, just as the nature of being social humans. And so for some people that's, you know, you know, I guess, yes, I, I know the guys that knew, you know that you are meant to be with the head cheerleader from the time you enter <laughs> sixth grade, right? And you know that you are going to have this particular life. Uh, which shuts down all of these options, right? Uh, and this happens in, in spiritual practice all the time, too. And this is, to me, kind of the beauty of chaos magic and also where it goes horribly arise. To me, the idea of chaos magic was like, you don't have to know where this is going. You don't have to be looking at what happened in the 1800s or in the 1500s or in 900 or in the written record. That this is, if this is a, a natural practice, which is kind of why I dislike the term occultism, is occultism seems to me to always be kind of referencing things that are hidden. When I think most of it's like shit that we just forgot how to do, uh, nobody hid it. Uh, but yeah, then there's all of this possibility that, like, the most powerful thing that I've been given is this weird little nine sentence charm that changes all the time and it's peculiar uh and it sounds really really witchy but it's also so retardedly the craft or something uh, oh my gosh i, want you I to can't say it. take it seriously right <laughs> but it does this beautiful thing uh and it's like a joke i think from my allies like they've given me this coded language like, this is how you get from here to here. And every time I go to do it, I'm like, this is so silly. It's like, and it's being open to that stuff and realizing that these are language systems that we're overlaying upon experience that's not happening in the body in a normal sense. Uh, and so doesn't really fit. And so, yeah, it's like you go into the other world and you meet the space pickle why not? Who you don't think that that didn't happen to somebody before, just because yeah. it was written down? Like we've been here for a long fucking time. Somebody has had serious relationships with the space pickle. 
there is no doubt. Lucky, um, lucky somebody. Head cheerleader. And it's probably John. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt. <laughs> nice. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for letting me crash your party for a minute. Thanks I'll, for jumping uh, in, Jeff. That was awesome. Yeah. That was awesome. I'll end my streak now. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys later. See ya. All right. So we have this list of questions here. And I feel like some of them we've already kind of touched on. Um, You know, I mean, yeah. So I I guess uh, KJ Sassy Pants wants to know, What's the weirdest and wackiest thing that has ever happened to you in a magical or shamanic context? I'm afraid to ask John. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyone? Anyone got anything they feel like sharing? We can't hear you, John. John, I see see you talking, but I don't hear you. (laughs) <laughs> well he sorts that out uh yes oh god weird where do i start shit uh so a couple of weeks ago i did some uh like hunting tracking magic stuff right it was it was very specifically like had my eyes focused on a very specific target and uh after the so for me after i do work i'm usually I'm usually paying attention to, uh, you know, just what's happening in the world, sort of looking for omens and signs and confirmations and things. And I was sitting at, at the window with the cat looking out. And all of a sudden, so there's a, this family of hawks that lives maybe 100 yards across the street. This was just in, within a couple of days of doing the magic. All of a sudden, out of the tree, like a fucking bullet, this hawk flies out and catches some small bird mid-flight and literally rams it into the window that I'm sitting in front of and then flies off back to the tree, right? And I'm like, well, you know, as far as omens for hunting magic go, uh, that's sort of terrifying and pretty rad at the same time. So, um, yeah, it's probably not the weirdest, but it's it's the most recent bit of weirdness for sure. So. I, uh, yeah. I, I can't hear you now. Try it, John. You got it. You're good. That was it? You got that it. That was it. I don't even know what I did. Can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. Okay, was that the question about the paranormal when I said, could I use the paranormal reference? Yeah. Sure. Use whatever you got. Okay. So the mo- the weirdest probably thing I I was doing uh, a reading on a house um, in Carthage, and we've had um, hi Kitty, we've had some uh, instance of a pretty dark entity. I don't like using demonic because I think I think that's a bad word and I think it's wrong. Um, more of just uh, probably not ever human type entity. Anyway. So we're doing an investigation one night and, and we had a team had a group there doing a tour and I spotted this entity cause it likes to hang out on the stairwell. 
And so I'm trying to coax it down and to come talk to me. Like I wanted to get it to talk. Well, it did. And pretty much threw me for a loop for about, I don't know, six months to where I was a little bit off my rocker for about six months. And, and honestly, the, you know, I, it engulfed the upper part of my body to where a person two foot away from me couldn't see me from the waist up. And I still couldn't tell you what it was. I, I can tell you that it never, it never was alive. I know that for a fact. I know that it was never in corporeal form of any sort. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I walked out of the house. I had to get away for a little bit when it lifted and I was freed from it for lack of a better word. Um, I walked outside and I sat down on the ground and I tried to ground as best I could ground, but I was not entirely in my body for, for at least 30 minutes there. But mentally it was a, it was a trip for probably about six months. So it was a little bit of an interesting deal, but what brought me back into my body, which is kind of a funny story was there's these big, um, uh, not cedar trees, juniper trees in the front yard. They're huge. And uh, I put my hand up on the juniper tree and an ant bit me. And that popped me back into myself. So it was kind of an interesting, interesting yeah. deal. But yeah, I still couldn't tell you what that thing was. But I'd like to get back and work with it. But the last couple of times I've been there, he hasn't hasn't shown up. So. Everybody's following you around, John. <laughs> You're boring What's that ass behind ass. you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a cat. <laughs> Probably. I, um, I, I mean, so many things, but like, uh, one of the things that I often do is like, if I'm doing certain kinds of cleansings for people, um, I'll take the tools and pieces that I've used in the cleansing and I'll take them into the ravine system here, you know, and, and there are spots where I dispose of that stuff so that the, the spirits that are there and the earth that's there can just take that back and, it can go away, you know, and it won't kind of just pass on to anybody else. And um, so it was frozen, right? Like stuff was frozen when I was there, right? And um, and it was sort of, it was like freezing, freezing rain and snow was coming down. And so I went down into the ravine and, you know, it's like this, we live in a big city, right? So there's like this lit path. And I go off of that and off into, you know, into the hills and the woods around there a bit and, and to the spot where I go and get rid of stuff or one of the places. And it's all fine. I do the work. It feels fine. And, and I turn around to leave. And as I'm walking out, this like two dozen white moths emerged from somewhere and followed me. Like they, they, like they were just around me and they just emerged even though it was freezing out. And they followed me as I walked out onto the path and stuff. And they followed me along the path for a ways before they sort of drifted back off into the woods. And it was one of those things that when they were gone, I was like, did I hallucinate that? What's going on? <laughs> but, you know, I took it as the, the, the success of the work and the, the spirit of the forest sort of clearing everything away for me as I was leaving, you know, but, uh, yeah. What do you got for us, Aiden? 
there's a few to pick from and I'm sorting to see which one is the most acceptable. Um, yeah, probably my third. I think it's the third kind of major initiation that I had was uh, the summer that Ash was conceived. Um, me and his mom stayed up at a relative of hers house on the lake. And there was a, we stayed in a bedroom that was like the guest bedroom that was up this stairwell. And this is like a really beautifully made, but kind of cabin built place on this lake in Washington state. And um, we were there for quite a while, but uh, I was out paddling around in in the canoe on this little lake. And um, I don't know what I did, but I knew at the point that I did it that I had upset the lake. <laughs> this is really a little bit before I got enough into magic to be thinking this way. <laughs> I had some practices I was doing, but I hadn't kind of developed any worldview where this makes sense until after this event. But in some way, I knew like I had pissed off the lake and I had best get home. This is a tiny little lake. <laughs> um, and so I turn around and start paddling back what should be just a few minutes, but like the wind picks up and the current picks up, like where this current is going in this lake, I have no fucking clue, but, and it took me like a solid hour and a half to paddle back to this place, which was really close. And when I got back, I went in and I went upstairs to the bedroom and maybe changed my clothes or grabbed a sweater or something. And when I came to go around the stairs, to go down the stairs, I took the first step and was paralyzed and I couldn't do anything. And so I just pitched down the stairs uh, and managed to get control of my right arm and just shoved it out through the banisters, you know, and caught myself that way. So I didn't go all the way to the, you know, either slate or tile floor at the bottom. And um, when I came out of it, I had this raging fever, um, like within just boom. And I ended up spending the next three days up in that bedroom that we were in uh, at the top of the stairs with this crazy, crazy, super high fever in delirium and and hallucinating and and falling asleep and waking up. And uh, I had this dream. This is maybe just an hour or so after after the fall. uh, So very early on in the thing. And in the dream, it's nighttime. And these, this crew of guys, of men in dark clothing, uh, invade the house and kill my girlfriend and me. And I wake up after I've been killed. And um, I fall back asleep. And it happens again. <laughs> and uh, I keep getting killed. <laughs> we keep getting killed. And I, then I wake up. Uh, and it goes over and over and over again. And it does this for two or three days while I'm running this fever in bed. Um, oh, and there's a power animal in here. Um, and a couple days, maybe the second day, like I've probably been killed now by this time, by like 15 times or 20 times. Uh, this huge spider moved into the rafters above the bed. And, um, I kind of viewed it as an ally in some way that way. 
And uh, after it showed up, I began being able to change the dreams. And so the guys would like break into the house and come in to kill us. And I would get my girlfriend out the window or something, and then they would kill me. <laughs> uh, and after this happened a couple of times, I'm like, oh, okay, I can only do a little tiny bit in each sequence here. And so I have to figure out what needs to happen uh, if I'm going to stop just being sick in this room. And by that time, I'd made some connection that this was actually uh, some kind of a spirit problem, though I didn't have words for it at that time. And um, so I got better and better. So I got her out. I got her like clear in a way. I got into actual fights with a couple of these guys when they weren't super expecting it. Uh, and then something snapped on the third day and I had this dream and I woke up before they had even got there. And so I got my girlfriend out uh, and I think I hid behind the wood pile or something. Uh, and they went into the house uh, and I went in after them instead of them coming in after me. Uh, and it took about another four or five times before I actually was able to get in behind them and kill them all before they killed me. And then as soon as that actually happened, uh, I woke up, no fever, Again, three days later, totally wrung out. Um, and, uh, yeah, and again, kind of like the first first initiation experience, totally, totally different. Like, it was a huge changer, but that was one of the, that's probably one of the weirder things. That's very cool. Yeah, it's interesting how um, sickness can be a thing, right? Or, you know, I was down, uh, down working on Arisha stuff over the weekend and I was noticing how always like a few days before I go and start the work, before I go in to do the work, I often feel like, Oh, am I getting a cold? Am I starting to get something? And, uh, you know, yeah. And then I never actually do. Right. It's just that energy moving in. So, yeah. Well, gents, it's time to wrap it up. We have one last question, which is a very brief question, which I'm just going to put it here. Uh, Teresa Reed wants to know when, when are we going to re release a calendar, the, the stack and skull calendar? When is that coming? Hopefully for everybody's sake, never, <laughs> <laughs> but if we do it, I January, I claim January. Well, we each get to do three months, right? We still can't hear you, John. Maybe we each get to pick our favorite month and that's all it covers. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. That's it. And in between, nothing. Just blank pages. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening. I am uh, super excited to say that. Uh, for a couple of factors, I am now at a position where the Patreon is supporting getting transcriptions done, uh, which is really exciting. So we're still trying to catch up with the flow. Hopefully the transcription for this one will be live at the same time, uh, which means that uh, if you jump on over and support the Patreon now, you're also going to be supporting not only transcriptions for people who are deaf, but also 
helping me up my tech game here so that we can get a better quality of sound, uh, clearer messages, and so that I can continue to devote time and attention to getting exciting guests on the show. All right. Uh, thank you to all the people supporting the Patreon. I sure hope you're enjoying all those awesome bonuses that are headed your way.